Hello and welcome to Metaphors of EdTech, a podcast by me, Martin Weller. In this podcast, I talk about metaphors of educational technology. There's an accompanying book published by Athabasca University Press, which you can check out. It's free to download or you can buy the print copy. And in each episode notes, I'll put links to interesting articles or things that are relevant. So check those out. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to a sub-series of Metaphors of EdTech, uh, where we revisit my previous book, 25 Years of EdTech, and I'm now updating it to 30 Years of EdTech. Previously, uh, when the book originally came out in 2018, a colleague, Clint Lalonde, uh, decided to set up a community project turn it into an audio book with a different person reading each chapter. You can see that over 25years.opened.ca. And Laura Pasquini set up a podcast called Between the Chapters with guests talking about that chapter each week. So I recommend visiting that. What I plan to do here is to republish the audiobook version with a preface from me, thinking about kind of how things have changed and whether I was still happy with that chapter and what's moved on since then, plus the extra five years uh, that takes us up to now. Hello, welcome to another episode of 30 Years of EdTech. Now we're at 2007 and we're up to second life we're going to talk about in virtual worlds. I say we're going to talk about it, but actually I'm not going to talk about it that much, um, mainly because uh, I've got another episode of that went, as we're doing 30 years of EdTech, one of the episodes that went from beyond the 25 years, um, my entry is around the metaverse. And so I actually revisit a lot of the stuff um, in this chapter uh, when I talk about the metaverse and this idea of virtual worlds. So we're going to come back to that in a later chapter. But just say the um, audiobook chapter is read by the lovely Grant Potter, and that comes up after this. And uh, Grant's on the Between the Chapters podcast uh, with Rob Pasquini and Sarah Frick talking about it as well. So check that out. So, um, yeah, Second Life. So um, it was interesting. I, I don't know if many of you may have seen a recent article in The Guardian about um, holographic lectures. So and they're, saying, they're great. We can have lectures appear in holographic form and the students love it and we could get AI to it so you could have lectures from Einstein or whatever. So, and I kind of think, yeah, okay, it's kind of exciting, kind of fun. you know, it's obvious that students like it, it's fun, you know, they're having the photos taken next to it, but I'm not sure it's necessarily doing anything particularly different, you know. Um, and a, a bit, uh, when I saw that article, I'd love to go back in like a year's time, two years time and see how much they're actually using this, this holographic machine that they've developed. Um, and maybe I'm a bit harsh on Second Life in the in the chapter. I think um, it can be these kind of virtual worlds can offer an awful lot of fun. I think and you know creative play and stuff. You know, just a different experience for students. We don't have enough of that in education, so it's a bit harsh maybe for me to kind of be be the grump and stamp down on it. But I think part of the um, that was driven by this. There's often a desire with these virtual worlds for them to be everything. You know, we're going to do everything in this virtual world. And if you treat it as a bit of fun, a bit of something, you know, a bit of thing to play with, a bit of variety in the education system, much like the holographic lectures, yeah, sure, you know, go ahead. It looks fun. Go and do it. Uh, but I think the idea that, you know, we're going to do everything through this world and that's where you're going to do stuff. And we see that with the metaverse, which I'll discuss in that later chapter. I'll talk about that. Um, and it's uh, maybe it's an example of this kind of zombie idea, just... It just won't stop people keep coming back. We will have virtual worlds. We will have these 3D worlds that we all exist in. At some point, I've seen it in sci-fi movies. It will become a thing, you know. Mark Zuckerberg's obsessed by it and stuff. And I think the thing about all these 
virtual worlds and holographic presentations and stuff is that at, until they're kind of cheap, easy, and ubiquitous, you know, like so. Sure, you know, if I can have a a meeting, a virtual meeting where it's like I'm sitting around a table with holographic representations of my colleagues, then yeah, that's better than me talking to them on a screen. It's not really that much better that it's worth me investing in a ton of special equipment and wearing headsets and you know, those kind of things. So I think, uh, and obviously that's a pretty boring example of what you can use this technology for, but but surprisingly enough, I've seen people, you know, do uh, Teams meetings in, in the metaverse. Why? But um, <laughs> so I think, I think it's, you know, all the kind of 3D virtual stuff will be great when it's when it's like a mobile phone you know when it's kind of that kind of ubiquitous and cheap and and robust but until that point it always kind of is just a, a kind of a nice add-on a bit of fun i think really and so i think a lot of the claims that are made for it are kind of assume this kind of all-encompassing immersive world which i just don't think it's going to break through so there's me being a grouch again um but anyway enjoy the episode enjoy the uh, audiobook reading from grant Welcome to 25 Years of Ed Tech, the serialized audio version of the book, 25 Years of Ed Tech, written by Martin Weller and published by Athabasca University Press. This community-produced audio version of the book is narrated by a global cast of educators with a new chapter released each week. In addition to the book, there is also an accompanying podcast called Between the Chapters, which contains analysis and discussion of each chapter of the book. For more information on the audio version of the book and the accompanying podcast, or to subscribe, visit 25years.opened.ca. 2007, Second Life and Virtual Worlds. Online virtual worlds and Second Life have been around for some time, with Linden Labs launching it in 2003. But 2007 marked a peak in interest, particularly in education. Second Life provided a virtual world which people navigated through constructed avatars, interacting remotely with the avatars of other users. Unlike most virtual games of the time, it was an unbound universe, and users could create their own environments on islands they leased. People made real money by offering services within Second Life, for example, by allowing people to camp on their island, selling real estate, or making virtual goods for avatars. These were traded using Linden dollars, which could be exchanged for real money via PayPal. Unlike games, there was no specified goal or endpoint. Rather, it provided a virtual 3D meeting space. This allowed universities to establish their own islands and on these construct virtual campuses. There was a good deal of interest in its potential in 2007, with Germain, Trefagan, Mayrath, and Trivedi, 2009, having estimated that by 2012, 80% of active internet users, including Fortune 500 enterprises, will have a second life in some form of 3D virtual world environment, and that these virtual worlds are expected to have a large impact on teaching and learning in the very near future, with pedagogical as well as brick-and-mortar implications. The most common use was to deliver virtual lectures, but Baker, Wentz, and Woods, 2009, reported a range of applications. Princeton University's SL Campus hosts music performances in their virtual Alexander Hall. The SL Campus of the University of North Carolina hosts a virtual health clinic. The University of Kentucky's SL site includes a library help center and an admissions and visitor center. Vassar College's site has a live video feed from the college's real-life quad. 
Faculty members can hold office hours in their virtual offices at the ESL campus of Bowling Green State University. The Second Life world could be integrated with the learning management system, particularly Moodle, to create a hybrid Sloodle system, which sought to utilize the strengths of both environments, Kemp and Livingston, 2006. While virtual worlds had strong devotees, they didn't gain as much traction with students as envisaged, and most Second Life campuses are now deserted. Taking a tour of deserted campuses in 2015, which still costs $300 a month to maintain, Hogan, 2015, reported, I didn't see a single other user during my tour. They are all truly abandoned. They mostly are laid out in a way to evoke stereotypes of how college campuses should look, but mixed in is a streak of absurd choices like classrooms and tree houses and pirate ships. This quote hints at one of the issues with Second Life, a lack of imagination. Campus scenes were often used to recreate an online lecture. For instance, a professor may have been represented by a seven-foot-tall purple cat, but it was a straightforward lecture nonetheless. What this gained over simply live-streaming a real lecture was not always apparent. Virtual worlds such as Second Life had strong roots in role-playing games such as Dungeons & Dragons, but it didn't manage to shrug off its nerdy role-playing origins, and many users felt an aversion to this legacy. Interestingly, these Dungeons & Dragons roots for EdTech kept reoccurring. When CMC was new, MUD, multi-user dungeons, and Moo, MUD, object-oriented, were among the first widespread uses. This was part of their appeal to many advocates, but for other learners, these roots were off-putting. The technology required good computer hardware with a high-end graphics card and high-speed for the time broadband connection to run effectively. Without these, and even with them sometimes, the rendering of the 3D world could be slow, and glitches in navigation could arise. In addition, there was the problem of vandalism when users destroyed or defaced property, or griefing when disruptive users interfered with classes held in public spaces. Although given the type of online abuse found in environments such as Twitter, accounts of paintballing a lecturer seem almost playful now. Accessibility was a significant issue with no screen reader support, so they were difficult, if not impossible, for visually impaired learners to use. The navigation also required continual manipulation, so students with dexterity problems found the environment difficult to navigate and never left the orientation island. The problem Second Life demonstrates is what happens when the technology itself becomes the main focus and is the predominant topic of conversation. This can be interesting to explore if EdTech is the main interest, but the technical issues and the foregrounding of the different environment can get in the way if the subject is, say, calculus. What this raises is the question of scalability and applicability. Does every EdTech have to be suitable for everyone? Does it matter if some people feel put off by it? Does this advantage some groups and disadvantage others? These are genuine questions, and Second Life is not alone in facing them. We can perhaps think of social software as horizontal or vertical. Horizontal ones are those that have a relatively low threshold to engagement. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter are all examples of these. This has been key to their success. They can utilize the benefits of the network without requiring intensive contributions from all individuals. Even browsing adds to the value of the network. And then there is vertical social software such as Second Life, which has a high threshold of participation and users tend to spend a lot of time engaged with it. The consequence of this is that these tools need to meet a range of needs, hence Second Life could be used for work, socializing, shopping, and so on. But it means 
they are unlikely to acquire the broad appeal required for the mass networking seen in horizontal social software tools. One of the issues with Second Life was that it very strongly divided people into pro and anti camps with little balanced perspective. As I mentioned at the end of the previous chapter, bouncing between extremes is not productive. This was partly a result of the monopoly that Second Life came to have in the space. Several alternatives existed, but Linden Labs had greater financial backing than most of these. The cost of maintaining islands increased, and the openness of the platform came into question. The Virtual Worlds Watch Project, which followed UK academics' use of the range of virtual worlds, provides a useful archive for much of this history. However, with the success of virtual and augmented reality software such as Minecraft and Pokemon Go, with more robust technology and broadband, and with the widespread familiarity of avatars in gaming, virtual worlds for learning may be one of those technologies due for a comeback. Like many other applications of EdTech, the pattern may be one of overenthusiastic initial adoption when it is applied as a universal tool to a more selective and appropriate application now that enough general familiarity with the technology has been acquired. Second Life could have been useful in specific domains where the virtual setting allowed users to do things they couldn't easily accomplish in the real world. It is this application that has continued to see development, for example, virtual worlds for medicine, chemistry, and engineering. The overenthusiasm for Second Life may seem naive now, but I share some sympathy with Hogan, 2015, who after his tour of deserted campuses concluded, I actually like how most of these islands represent an attempt by education institutions to embrace the weirdness of the web. The current crop of education startups seem bland and antiseptic in comparison to these virtual worlds. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Ed Tech, the serialized audiobook version of Martin Weller's 25 Years of Ed Tech, published by Athabasca University Press and narrated by a global cast of volunteers. Intro music for the podcast is Abstract Corporate by Grip Sound and released under a Creative Commons attribution license. To subscribe to the weekly audio series and the accompanying podcast between the chapters, visit 25years.opened.ca. Thanks for listening to Metaphors of EdTech. Remember to subscribe if this is your bag. Uh, and also check the episode notes for any useful links and fun things there. Music